Claremont killer Bradley Edwards was today sentenced to life in prison with a minimum of 40 years. As his sentence was handed down in WA's trial of the century, applause broke out across the courtroom. I recognise that the sentence I impose will mean that there is a high likelihood that you will die in prison. This is a product of your current age, but you committed these offences as a much younger man and have had the undeserved benefit of your liberty for many years due to the fact that it took many years to identify you as the perpetrator. Hello and welcome to Claremont in Conversation, a monumental day. Natalie Bongiolo with you alongside Tim Clark, Alison Fan, and Damien Cripps. And it's extraordinary to think really that, you know, on this day, the 23rd of December, exactly four years ago, Bradley Edwards was charged and today he found out that he will probably never leave jail. Absolutely, 40 years um, minimum. That's going to take him into his 90s almost. Uh, So it was a memorable day for everyone and hopefully there will be no appeal. So Mm. hopefully we have seen the last of Bradley Robert Edwards. Tim, was it what you were expecting? Uh, Yes and no. Uh, Yes, I was expecting a massive sentence, whether that be the term of Mr. Edwards' natural life or uh, an an enormous minimum, which is what we got. What I wasn't expecting um, was the emotion in court, um, both, I've got to say, uh, relief, elation at the end amongst some of the families. But before that, we just heard the the most raw of of accounts from both um, of Edwards' living victims who both chose to give their victim impact statements in person, in their own words, from the witness box um, and listening to those women describe what it's been like to live with the the abominations that Edwards performed on them all those years ago was just something that I will never, ever forget. It was, it was, it was astonishing. The, um, the, the words themselves, but the way they were delivered. So, yeah, um, we've said it so many times. The Claremont case just never stops um, surprising and shocking you, and today was no different. Yeah, you're so right. It was very emotional, and we will actually, in a little while, we will actually read out um, some of those victim impact statements because it, it was extraordinary and it was absolutely harrowing. Absolutely, the um, especially from the the victim who narrowly escaped and that was of course the uh, rape victim from the Karakata Cemetery. She was very controlled and her delivery was just extraordinary especially at the end when I think she added a few bits onto it um, which because they meant to read from the statement but she was incredibly strong. Yeah it's, it was it was really quite extraordinary. Damien I think for so many people um, not least Edward's victims and their families, there really was so much hanging on this sentencing today, wasn't there? It's, I think, Nat, um, there was so much hanging on this sentencing for not not just the people of Western Australia, but the legal system, the police, um, the families. It's been such, as we've said so many times, it's been such a, a mammoth, amount of time since these offences were commenced to um, to today where we find out, you know, what the result is for a person who perpetrates acts like that. Um, And and it doesn't matter what pocket of the community you're in. The message is, it's very clear. And and I think that um, this is such a unique matter because the message is 
every day that goes by that you think you've gotten away with something, they are looking for you. And mm. chances are with today's technology and today's dogged investigative skills and um, the relentless resources that governments can pour into stuff, you're going to get caught. And then when you get caught, this will be, you know, the outcome will be a mammoth sentence. So I think that, um, you know, the people of Western Australia and Australia have waited a long, long time uh, to get to today. But I think that there is a resounding result uh, that sends a really, really clear message to every single person in this community. So I think the statement that you make, Nat, about, you know, it being, it being such a large and impactful moment is exactly correct. And in terms of a minimum um, sentence and 40 years without parole, how big is that compared to previous cases? Is that one of the largest sentences we've seen handed down in the state? It is the um, largest, Nat. Yeah, oh, I, thought, the, I thought it was the largest, Tim. Yeah, that's right. I thought that yeah. there was one previously, um, excluding the, 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 any matters where parole, the, the opportunity of parole or release has been taken away. I think... My understanding is the previous largest one, Tim, correct me if I'm wrong, was 36 years? Uh, 37, actually. 37. Uh, yeah. And um, that was a case um, that was actually referenced by Justice Hall in his uh, sentencing submissions, uh, his sentencing remarks today. It's It was a case involving a, a father and son who um, shot a, a couple, uh, execution style, in cold blood, and then um, buried their bodies in pre-dug, uh, graves um uh, in uh, some bushland in western australia and uh yeah for, for that they received minimum terms of 37 years which was previously the, the highest um so justice hall in all his reasonings today um said that he considered mr edwards deserved a longer minimum term with that than that which as damien's just said sends the most powerful message a judge could possibly send apart from um uh, never to be released, which is what the prosecution wanted, but he, he declined he, he declined those requests. What was uh, Justice Hall's reasons for not going down the path of life without parole? Well, there were there were there were several, um, but the main one, in my mind anyway, is that he just didn't think it reached that bar, and that is the absolute highest bar, um, obviously. Um, and it's only ever been handed down once in Western Australian legal history, and that was by Justice Hall himself last year um, to a man who murdered his entire family, his wife, three young children, all under three, and his mother-in-law. Um, so he, he, he basically said that he didn't think um, it, 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 it could be categorised as the worst of the worst of the worst, but it, uh, as, as, I just, as we just said, um, he did did consider it bad enough that um, it was it, it, it was worthy of of the highest minimum sentence, which in in reality means Mr. Edwards will in all likelihood die in prison, because as we've mentioned before, um, he he will have to apply for parole if 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 he gets that far in his life. He'll be eighty eight by the time that eligibility comes up. And um, any attorney general um, of this state who was to sign a parole order letting Edwards out, in my mind, would also need to um, uh, 
put his signature to or her signature to their resignation on the same day because I don't think anyone in the West Australian community would would ever think that Edwards should be released. Um, and that's that's also what the police commissioner Chris Dawson said on the steps of the court after 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 today's proceedings. Yeah, Ali, did you expect that Justice Hall could hand down a sentence that would jail him for life? Yes, and I think probably forty years at the age of fifty-two pretty well is um, his natural life. I mean, he'll be yeah. early nineties, and that doesn't mean to say that even if he applied, then that he'd get out. So um, I think it was almost a match. Yeah. For the for the term of your natural life, forty years when you're fifty two, it's not like he's thirty two, or twenty two. It, um, it and that's what it deserved. Yeah, Tim, you mentioned um, Ms. Barbagallo argued for the rest of his natural life, and mm. some of the things were that you know this, for instance, was not murders committed at the one time. These were murders that were separated by nine months, mm. and she thought that that mm. was very important. That was the main difference that she said presented in this case to all the cases um, that could possibly be compared to. Um, all the, the the other murders of more than one people um, that were referenced in court today were all um, on, a, on a single day. They were done in a sort of a, a continuous course of action, whereas we know Edwards um, snatched and, and killed Jane um, and then nine months later, um, did the same to Kira, and so that was her main point of difference in the in the cases that were referred to today. And then she also very pointedly um, referred to the fear uh, of the community that those crimes spread for so long, um, and the way that the law is written in Western Australia when it comes to uh, an order never to be released, the judge is is, is is duty bound to take into account the community expectations um, of someone who commits such horrific crimes and what would the community expect me to do or a judge to do in those circumstances and that is what um, uh, Ms Barbara Gallo um, uh, hammered home a couple of times um, in her oral submissions and obviously in her written submissions as well was the effect not only on Jane and Kira on their families, but on the um, Perth and Western Australian community as a whole, and that is why they argued very strongly for that. But as we've said, um, Justice Hall came down on the other side, but only very slightly, um, given mm. given the uh, the minimum sentence that he did impose. And I thought the other interesting point that she raised as well was the fact that he was in possession of this violent and extreme pornography at the time mm. of his arrest. And so therefore she was saying, well, this is not a guy who is rehabilitated or is not a risk at offending again and therefore should never come out of jail. Yeah, that was that was another of her arguments. So we've we talked, obviously, in previous podcasts about the porn that was found, um, very extreme, um, out there pornography that Mr. Edwards had in his possession right up till the moment he was arrested. And she said that would point to him, obviously, not having rehabilitated himself over all those years. In mm. fact, his predilections were still present um, on the day he was arrested. But Justice Hall said... Uh, you may well argue that, but um, he couldn't reach the point where he could be certain that that meant 
um, Edwards was still a risk to women. Um, and on the other side, it was obviously pointed out that he had not been convicted or apparently not committed any more crimes since 1997. So that was another thing, obviously, that Justice Hall had to weigh up um, in his um, in his deliberations. And again, came down on the side that I can't be sure that Edwards was a risk, so I can't take that into account um, during during the sentencing process. Yeah, Damien, I feel like Justice Hall had a very thin tightrope to walk, but he managed to sort of balance that perfectly, um, delivering a sentence that, you know, the community would be comfortable with, but at the same time not setting um, a new precedent. It's interesting that um, when I was reading, I had... um, you guys have been kind enough to send through some of the snippets of what had been said today and when I was reading through those. Um, it did remind me of what the Honourable um, Chief Justice of Western Australia back in uh, 2014, Wayne Martin AC, had said. Because he, he, he was talking at the time about the importance of sentencing. And a lot of the time, unless it directly affects people, the sentencing sometimes becomes... An afterthought to to the general public, you know, like when people hear that a certain person was convict, convicted or they're acquitted, they're happy that, that you know the criminal justice system will deal with someone appropriately. But realistically, what Wayne Martin had said back then was, and it's always stuck with me, is it's where the rubber meets the road. This is the part where the wheels of justice really needs really need to turn because there's these print, sentencing principles that you know we have to take into consideration, and, and what what gets lost a lot of the time. You know, if you think about the term in the context of Mr Edwards, you know, a lot of the population would have been walking around after being convicted of the two crimes and, of course, the Huntingdale um, crime and the rape. A lot of people would have been saying, oh, just throw away the key. Totally. But what gets lost in that concept is that the the six um, sentencing principles, I mean, when we talk about sentencing, a lot of the time um, it gets lost. What comes from sentencing is not just the punishment that gets imposed on the person who commits the crime. but And the other five things are, are the kind of things that give the public confidence that our uh, our justice system is working and it's, you know, it's affecting a result. So that's the fine line that I think um, Justice Hall is talking about is because in amongst those six sentencing principles is, you know, what's the chance of rehabilitation for this person? It can't be overlooked. You have to consider it. It's not something that you can just say, well, all we care about is that we're going to punish him. I mean, we've, we've, you know, we have common law rules to full, follow. And um, th- that's what makes it a very difficult, um, you know, when I was reading those snippets that had been sent through to me kindly by the West, I was, I was certainly of the view that I hadn't thought about it the way that he had said it. He was, you know, it was a fine line because in my view, I before the sentencing had come out, I thought you would set a precedent with a case like this. You would say, mm. you know, people beware. This is where you're headed if you, you know, engage in, you know, uh, murdering numbers of people in in the way that Mr Edwards did. And But but he's he's opted not to do that because I think that comes back to those sentencing principles I've talked about, trying to balance up, you know, imposing a punishment, um, denouncing him to the community, ensuring that there's general deterrence and specific deterrence, but you haven't, these six other principles can't be washed away. And that's, 
you know, what I think the front line that um, his honour was talking about. Yeah, absolutely. And effectively, you know, like we've said already, he, he effectively has thrown away the key by um, imposing this minimum of 40 years anyway. Let's have a listen to some of Justice Hall's mitigating and aggravating factors. This series of offences, when seen as a whole, shows that you were a dangerous predator who sought out vulnerable young women and attack them for your own gratification. Ali, this was really the first time we heard Justice Hall say that the attack on Jane was sexually motivated. Yes, because we've had um, very little evidence. Well, of course, they weren't able to prove just exactly what happened at, when after those girls left because they nobody really knows. Uh, Jane, with her clothes all missing we got a fairly good idea that that was what it was all about. And certainly if you followed Bradley Edwards's pattern from the vicious, brutal rape at Karakata Cemetery and, of course, the earlier attacks, it all flowed through. But um, I thought the most compelling um, things that we heard today were from those two very brave young teenagers. They were at the time when they were attacked. And um, just the way they were, because mostly victim impact statements are read by the judge quietly or by a lawyer. But these two women chose to speak for the first time publicly up on the stand and detail, in graphic detail, how this has completely changed their lives forever and has even passed on to the next generation, their, their girls, because of the impact that it's had on their lives. And um, especially the Karakata victim who just, she read the statement in a very controlled way as opposed to the earlier Huntingdale victim who was very emotional, very tearful to the point that she says she can't even bear to be touched now without thinking about back on that attack that happened so many years ago. Um, but as for the uh, Karakata victim, she, she actually went off script, I think, because they were saying that you must stick to your statement. But I think at the last bit, she actually, when she eye turned around and uh, turned her body to Bradley Edwards and eyeballed him and described him as a pathetic, despicable coward, everybody looked a little bit surprised. So I don't know if that was in her original mm. written statement. She had originally said, um, I hope you get treated in prison as well as you treated us. Uh, and then she went on further and elaborated and said, the only joy that I've got is that you'll be in jail and um, you're not an evil genius. You're just a very unremarkable person who slipped through the cracks and went on about him being such a coward. And that was very strong. And um, uh, he had no reaction, of course, but she, she got it across. Absolutely. Well, what we might do, we might just read some of that victim impact statement for you. Uh, this is the Karakata victim and she started her statement by saying... They say you always remember your first. In my case, I consider my first is Chloe. After I read those words in the paper from a story found on the perpetrator's computer, which appears were related to me, a little piece of me broke. I ended up having a panic attack so badly, I nearly ran my car off the road. What made it so difficult for me to breathe was how someone could think so little of another human. I pulled my car to the side of the road and was literally gasping for breath. My lungs constricted, my legs were shaking uncontrollably, and I couldn't feel one side of my face. I thought I was having a stroke. It took me days to recover. That is a singular victim impact. 
That moment happened 24 years after the most horrific night of my life. It is just one small moment of so many, many moments that have kept me caged inside this traumatising experience. So how do you encapsulate pain that endures and you are made to relive for more than two decades so publicly? How do you explain how it has impacted you? The truthful answer is you can't. You can only shed light, and so I will try. You don't ever recover from sexual assault. It is a lifelong sentence. Mine has just been more widely discussed and publicised than most. When it came to writing this, I felt conflicted even attempting it, as I found even the idea of a victim impact statement a bizarre concept. Why would you want to explain just how traumatic the worst night of your life made you feel, knowing the person who inflicted the pain could read it or hear it? To me, that seemed ludicrous. After much contemplation, what I came to realise was that for me, it was important to have a voice and that I really don't care how someone who is, to me, inhumane responds. But I do care deeply about how other assault victims feel and how my family and friends feel. So my statement is in their honour. And Tim, I I just found that the most brave thing I think I've ever seen in my life. Yeah, uh, I I concur, Nat. It was one of the most impressive impactful and insightful pieces of public speaking I have ever seen in my life to be able to deliver it the way that she did um, with the tone of her voice only breaking slightly at, at, at various moments um, it was it was incredible and if anyone was in any doubt of the impact of a, a crime like that um, which they shouldn't have been anyway. But if if anyone was in any doubt of, of of the the ripple effect that that can have on a person all those years later, then it would have been absolutely blown away um, by by those words um, delivered in the way they were. Mm. I spoke to um, several of the um, detectives that have been very very the closest to this case: Detective Maripodi, Detective Capes who interviewed Edwards after his arrest four years ago, and they said they were in awe of the way that those words were delivered and also struggling to contain their emotions while hearing it, even though that they have been as close to the case as anyone and has been as close to that victim as anyone. So, um, yeah, it was was one of those moments that um, anyone... Uh, who witnessed it, I don't think we'll ever forget. Yeah. And, I mean, what we've just read to you now, that's just a very small part of her statement. It was lengthy and descriptive and, and really extraordinary. And many of us who were sitting there were moved to tears. But what I could not fathom was that Edwards had zero response. And it actually just, to be honest, I felt sick that someone could sit and listen to this gut-wrenching impact statement and feel nothing, and it just made me ill. He didn't even look up, did he? he, he I don't think he met her eyes. She actually half-turned her body to fully address him, eyeball him, literally, mm. at that very last um, sentence or sentences that she she sort of threw at him. And uh, he just stayed as he stayed the entire time from the minute of the arrest, just no expression, no emotion, didn't react at all. Yeah. Could you see any closer than I could, Tim? Did you see any reaction at all? No, not a flicker, Mm. which I think spoke as much about him 
as the words from that victim spoke about her, that um, he is has has been proved by the evidence an unfeeling, callous, unemotional um, monster, um, and anyone who is would have been failed anyone who was failed to be moved by that this morning um obviously um has some very serious psychological issues as mr edwards obviously has absolutely and justice hall um actually commented on edwards demeanor throughout the trial today and he also spoke about what he gleaned from the um, police interview we've just got a little bit of that for you now I did not have an opportunity to see you give evidence, but I did observe you in court and saw your interview with the police. My impression is that you are a stoic and controlled person. You maintained a calm and unemotional demeanour throughout the trial. During the interview, you were polite and cooperative and came across as an intelligent man. That impression was confirmed by the fact that you were able to make spontaneous and apparently plausible denials of allegations that were later shown to be untrue. This ability to dissimulate may go some way to explaining how you were able to lead such an overtly unremarkable life whilst committing the offences of which you have now been convicted. Well, again, um, this is this is what we have seen right through, and we probably will never get to get any closer because he's refused to see a psychiatrist. There has been no psych report presented to the court, which is usually the first um, step. There's a psych report on on what makes this person tick. He's apparently refused to see a psychiatrist, and so there was no psych report offered. And just that very, very bizarre thing, as we all remember, the only time at the very end of the trial when he offered up the temperatures of Gosnells on a, mm. on a, on a single page. And that's the only time we've, we've seen anything. Damien, um, what do you make of, of um, Edwards um, saying, no, I'm not interested in, in seeing a psychologist and submitting a psych report? Because wouldn't ordinarily a psych report maybe... Um, you know, bring forward some mitigating factors as to why you've done what you've done? Oh, there's so many things that I think about that. Um, there's so many rabbit holes that exist at the other end of that question because for, well, the first thing is, what other crimes could he possibly be guilty of? I mean, I'm not saying that he is and I'm not saying that he isn't, but let's say hypothetically that he was guilty of some other crimes and I'm not pointing to any one specific crime uh, that remains unsolved, but potentially by letting somebody who's got a bit of insight into how the human mind works inside might start to unravel some of that. That might be his thinking, um, you know, I'm just guessing, but, mm. I, you know, it's, that's one of the first things that strikes me. The other thing that I've always found interesting about people in Mr Edwards' position is that they're not obliged to let anybody in. They're not, there's no obligation on them to um, let somebody in and find out whether there's something going on. I mean, the only reason that we do that is because you might get some benefit uh, because the, the, the report might come back that there's some mental health issues or you know, something to that effect. So, you know, he might just be of the view, <clears throat> I'm not interested in um, having someone dig around inside my background and my... Um, state of mind. I'm, I'm, I, you know, I accept that I've been 
um, convicted of these crimes, a psychiatric report or a psychiatrist report is not going to change that. And ultimately, I'm you know he might have been to a treating um, therapist over the years, and and they might have said, well, there's actually nothing wrong with you. So he might know that there's nothing wrong, and all that it's going to do is open Pandora's box for him in the context of the public and the court system and people who he doesn't want to know about the mechanics of his mind getting access to them. So, but I think you know if you sat down and um, toyed with that question for a while, you, know, you might come up with a myriad of answers yeah. or possibilities. I mean, I guess there's such a, a dichotomy here because um, on the flip side, Edwards himself, Tim, has said that he had a very unremarkable childhood and an unremarkable life. So I guess, you know, we're wanting some kind of answer as to, you know, what makes a person like this. Well, that's what he said, Nat. He also said that he hadn't raped a woman in Karakata and hadn't broken mm. into a, a, a woman's house in Huntingdale. So I don't think you can take anything that Edwards has said before or since to to a psychologist or a, any person in authority on, on face value. Yeah. Um, he might he might well um, say that, but um, whether that's true or not, I, I doubt will I doubt we will ever know. Um, unless one of his family members was to come forward and, and, and contradict that. But why would they? Because as far as we know, Mr. Edwards still denies that, that he was the killer of, of Kira and Jane, which will be, would be, I, I would imagine, another reason why he, he might want, he chose not to, um, to cooperate with the, the psychiatrist who came to see him because if you're denying that you've done these things, um, still, um, then any uh, any questions um, towards that from a psychiatrist that you might give uh, incriminating answers to would, would go against those denials. So, yeah, so in the end, um, he does and will remain that enigma that, that um, Ms. Barbara Gallo spoke about in her opening um, all those all those months ago. Yeah, that's right. And like you said, I mean, I guess if there's no benefit to him, then um, why would he do it? So also facing her attacker today was the Huntingdale victim. And I'll just read you a very small part of her statement. I can't sleep without the cover over me. Every night of my life, I fall asleep in fear that someone will attack me. It's been 15 years. Then there are the dreams. I'm always breathless. I never get away. I am trapped. When I wake, I don't look at my husband. I check the doorway just in case he is there, Bradley Edwards. For the 28 years between being attacked and Bradley Edwards' arrest, I had only stayed at home overnight by myself four times. I couldn't bear the idea of being asleep in my home overnight on my own. I, don't, I didn't know who attacked me. I didn't know why. I didn't know if he was coming back for me one day. And this continued until Bradley Edwards confessed to being the man who violated my space. Then the dreams changed. Bradley Edwards now features as the villain of my nightmares and I can't make it stop. And again, she went on to say so much more and and how this affected her throughout the course of her life and her family and even her children. Yes, and that, again, was so impactful and so insightful and surprising in, 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 in some of the details. So as, as you said, Matt, she described how that she hates to be hugged because she hates to feel um, enclosed or restricted by someone else 
as Edwards did to her on that night in 1988. And she's been heartbroken because she feels from some of the physical reactions from her own daughter that 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 hatred of being hugged might have been passed down. Now, as a normal person or, or a lay person that has never gone through that experience, you, w- you would never even consider that that might happen. But but not only has it happened, that, that, that she has now publicly um, expressed um, that how that has happened. So, again, it was just a, another moment that you 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 have to stop and 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 think again of of the impact of of that crime um which you know on the scale of all the crimes we've talked about for all these months is the least serious in inverted commas but again the most um, horrible and and heartbreaking um flow-on effect from those crimes that that still remains more than 30 years after they were committed she also was talking about the fact that she plays in her mind over and over again, since she was the first, um, that maybe she could have prevented him from going on. But, of course, that attack did play a very, very big role in finding um, Bradley Edwards because of the kimono that he left behind. And she says she plays in her mind, oh, if I'd done something, what, what could she have done that might have prevented him going on and on and on? Of course, that's been playing on her mind as well. She was very emotional, very teary. Um, and I've been watching her in the court and she's been very, very strong throughout the trial, always um, a, sort of uh, sitting there with the other families. But she said she almost felt the old guilt of being alive and surviving uh, when the others didn't. This would be very, very... Um, open to her every day as she sits with the with the Glennon family, the Spears family and the Ribbon family that here she was getting off quite lightly in comparison to what he went on to do f- after her. But again, like as I said, with the without the um, kimono and without the Hollywood attack with the fingerprints, Bradley Edwards might still be out there. Yeah. And again, with this victim impact statement, there was again zero reaction, response or recognition from Edwards. Totally, just completely bland. I don't expect him to, even he didn't even look at his parents today. Sometimes when he gets up, he'll, he'll glance at them, but nothing. Yeah. Uh, Tim, um, Jane Rimmer's mum, Jennifer, she had Ms Barbagallo read out her statement, uh, which again was devastating. And she she basically said that, you know, as a result of them losing their daughter, that that's really what led to her losing her husband as well. Yeah. So um, this is Jenny Rimmer, uh, mm. Jane's mum. Uh, Jane, uh, Jane's dad was, uh, was called Trevor um, and he was particularly devastated by the loss of his daughter. Um, he used to go to her grave every Saturday after, um, after her body was discovered and she was interred at Karakata Cemetery. Um, he used to go there every Saturday and tend the flowers and make sure that her, his, his, his daughter's final resting place was as, was as beautiful as it could be. But very shortly um, after those, uh, he lost his daughter, he, he was diagnosed with cancer and fought that battle for many, many years. Um, very sadly died before he could find out what had happened to her and, and who had happened to her. And in Jenny's statement today, she said that she was of the belief that because of the devastation and the grief and the trauma and the stress and the anxiety, that that made Trevor more susceptible to cancer, which he eventually um, 
got and succumbed to. So again, um, you know, you talk about primary victims and secondary victims. In Jenny's mind, she's not alone, only lost a daughter because of, of Edwards, but also lost her husband. And she also recounted the impact that it had on her and the fact that she felt she, she had to go on um, despite her grief for her other children, Lee and Adam, who were also in court today. And we've also discussed the impacts that it has had on them, even though Lee and Adam submitted their own victim impact statements today. We're all now well aware of the impact that it's that it's had on, on Jane's brother and sister. Um, and the final part was of Jenny's statement was probably the most heart-wrenching in that she still thinks to this day of what a wonderful mother um, Jane could have been if she was given the chance because she had worked with children all of her professional life was a childcare worker up until the very end of her life um, and um, as I've said in other places Jane would be exactly the same age as me now and I have two children in, in their enjoying their teenage years and I'm sure that um, that if given the chance, Jane would have found that special someone, would have had a family and no doubt would have been a wonderful mother because of her natural affinity with children, which all her friends have, have spoken about ever since her death. Yeah. I mean, there was talk today about, you know, ripples, wasn't there? But really, it, it felt more like a tidal wave. Uh, yes, it was. It was very... Uh you know, we've waited for this day, but it's, I'm still caught unawares when all of this came out and um, such the personal um, impact. You, you're covering a trial, you're just concentrating on from day to day to day, but today really brought home, um, especially from the early young victims, just how it, it will never go away. No. We, we can't use the words closure. We can use maybe satisfied. I, I said maybe they were satisfied. Some of them, like Don Spear, said, yes, I am. I said to um, Lee Rimmer, do you hope he'll stay in jail forever? She said, absolutely. So there's only that. but um, Maybe just relief that he won't be in the community. That's yes, all. Yes, but for them, it's the torment continues. Yeah. Well, the Glennon family were also in mm. court today, but they didn't provide an impact statement. Let's hear what Justice Hall had to say about that. Jane Rimmer and Kira Glennon no longer have a voice, but the impact on them of these offences is obvious. They were both young women with family and friends who love them. They had good jobs and much to live for. Had they lived they may both have had successful careers, married and had children of their own. By your actions, you not only robbed them of their lives, but their hopes, their dreams and the dreams of others for them. Tim, how did um, the Glennon family hold up today? Yeah, um, there were tears, obviously. Um, at the end, Dennis, Una and Kira's sister Denise were all in court. Dennis had already flagged that their intention was to not provide a victim impact statement um, in the very emotional press conference he gave in the days after the verdict. He said that they were now ready to move on and they didn't think that process was going to help them. Um, but as he said, now, Justice Hall uh, very eloquently um, stated that by no means did he think that that meant that there was no impact. Of course, there would be. Um, and the presence of Dennis Glennon 
throughout the trial, almost every day of the trial was was testimony to the fact um, of of his um, enduring promise that he made to Kira all those years ago that um, he would help find who did this to her, and he and he kept that promise, and he kept the promise right up until today. Um, uh, Una and Denise were very emotional at the end, um, hugging, um, embracing. Um, everyone around them, including police officers and, and other family members and other family members of victims. Um, but they very um, stoically um, walked away, um, didn't say anything on the way out. Um, and uh, I would, ex- Dennis Glennon has always been a man of his word, and I, I, I would think that they would now wish to be left in some sort of. Um, privacy and anonymity if you want to put it that way um so they can take the memories of kira with them and um finally be able to uh to cherish them um without the 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 spotlight um of publicity which has followed them for for more than 20 years yeah that's right and speaking of police officers um you know it is very unusual for a police commissioner to comment on sentencing but Chris Dawson did stop and speak to the media outside court and let's have a listen to that. The jailing of Edwards means the community is now safe uh, from this terrible person. As police commissioner, I do not usually comment on court outcomes, but I am going to make an exception today. It is my sincere hope for the sake of victims, for the sake of the families and friends and indeed for the safety of our community, that Edwards will never be released from prison. Tim, you asked the Commissioner about Sarah Spears uh, during that conference. What did he say? Mm-hmm. Well, I asked him whether they had followed through on their intention to speak to Edwards about Spears, um, as uh, Commissioner Dawson had flagged back in September. Um, he dodged the question a little bit he he, he was uh, he was sort of reluctant to say whether they'd spoken to him already but what he did say very firmly um and more than once was that the investigation into sarah's death will not close and part of that investigation will include more attempts to get more information out of edwards um and so i i expect he can expect a knock on his cell door um, at some stage in the not too distant future, um, maybe from the detectives that, that questioned him all those years ago, who knows? Um, but given everything we've seen of, of that man over the last four years, I also unfortunately expect him to give very little, if anything, away. Damien, if there were to be an appeal, what would be the timeline on that? How long does Edwards have before he could lodge an appeal? Well, technically speaking, it's 28 days. So he's got 28 days from today to lodge an appeal. Um, if, if if he's going to do that, but I mean, if he misses the 28 days, he can still make an application beyond that. So he could he can make an application, say hypothetically, in 40 days. But he would have to seek the leave of the court to be granted um, permission to make the application outside of the time limits. So, and and you generally have to have pretty good reason. I mean, right now the clock is ticking for him. So, he's um. I mean, unless there's some 
unusual rule that I'm not aware of, but my understanding is it's 28 days from the, your sentencing that you've got until um, you have to have any appeal notice in. Yeah, the date, um, as I understand it, is the third, Nat. That would be the sort of deadline or the initial deadline when those appeal papers need to be lodged. Of January? The, uh, no, February. Oh, Feb, third okay. of February, yep. Um, and as Damien said, there is also, um, you know, leave to appeal out of time. Um, uh, there's a few hurdles to cross before then. Obviously, you've got to find a lawyer, a, a very senior lawyer, willing to take on any appeal. Um, he would also possibly have to find the money himself to fund that appeal because it's no guarantee that legal aid, which have funded him so far, would actually fund that appeal. Um, so, look... <laughs> I would say it would be likely, given given the maximum sentence or the minimum sentence that Justice Hall handed down today, um, there is something that a lot of lawyers put into the Court of Appeal called manifest excess, which is basically them saying it's too high. We think you should drop it. Um, that could be one ground of appeal, given the that it is the highest um, in, in WA legal history. Um, but w whether that ever gets off the ground, whether the Court of Appeal would agree to hear it, whether there will be a hearing, that's that's all just speculation at the moment. Um, but the, the the journalistic cynic in me um, would say that um, um, it, it, it might well, it might well be, be, uh, be in the pipeline. He might try it on. Um, I think he would have a very, very hard time uh, Justice Stephen Hall has crafted his entire sentencing remarks as he has throughout the trial very, very carefully, very cautiously. There'd have to be some grounds for appeal and um, whether he might try it on just to get to stage one, who knows. He just This, this guy is in total denial, so um, who knows what he's, what's going through his head. Well, and I the other twist, of course, Nat, could be that the prosecution, if they feel very strongly that, that, that Justice Hall has erred today and in, in not giving their, uh, uh, not acceding to their request for never to be released, they could also appeal the sentence if they wish to. Um, but that, that, I would think, would be, would, would be much more unlikely, yeah. given, given everything we've talked about and the practical reality of sending someone to prison for a minimum of 40 years yep, when yep. they're already in their 50s. Mm, yeah. Well, as it stands right now, Bradley Edwards will be starting the rest of his life behind bars tonight and hopefully his victims and their families can move forward somehow with some sense of relief and the community also knowing that uh, he is probably never coming out. If you'd like to read the Karakata Victims full impact statement, that's on the West website. That's thewest.com.au. And tomorrow, Tim, you'll have a full spread and analysis in the paper. Yes, yes. Um, we've gone as big as we can do, um, obviously, um, because of just the magnitude of the day. Um, uh, we will have... Um, Hopefully, pretty much uh, every angle covered um, for those um, interested in, in reading um, more words um, about what has already been the most written about case in, in WA history, I think. Yeah. And of course, Tim's book, Enigma of the Dark, is available. You can uh, find out more by heading to subscriber.thewest.com.au forward slash Enigma of the Dark and you'll find there also a list of stockists. Um, and I think we just really wanted to take the opportunity to thank you all for being on this journey with us. 
for the past 12 months and for your emails and your support over that time. We'd also like to thank our Editor-in-Chief, Anthony DeSegley, for allowing us to take on this huge endeavour. It has been a massive commitment and we're all very grateful for the privilege. Also to our producer, Alicia Preedy, who pulled this project together in the early stages and made it all happen. And of course, thanks to everyone in the newsroom who has assisted. Also to our special podcast guests and of course, our regulars, Kate Ryan. Tim Clark, Alison Fan, Damien Cripps and Brendan Chapman, thank you all for your constant professionalism and expertise. It has been a journey, folks. <laughs> it certainly has. <laughs> well, we've got nothing left. <laughs> That's it from us. The email will remain active for a little while longer, so please do feel free to reach out. That's Podcast at wanews.com.au. Until then, thanks for being part of Claremont in Conversation. Take care. This podcast is hosted by Natalie Bongiolo, produced by Kate Ryan, and recorded in the studios of Seven West Media. 